a welcome to our third evidence-based nursing podcast. I am Dorothy Forbes, an associate editor of the journal, and I'm from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. And I have with me today Dr. Anne Kolonowski, and she is the director of the Hartfield Center of Geriatric Nursing Excellence at Pennsylvania State University. Dr. Kolonowski wrote a commentary for our journal on a systematic review conducted by Brodati and colleagues titled Meta-Analysis of Non-Pharmacological Interventions for Neuropsychiatric Symptoms of Dementia. And we will be discussing her commentary and the article in this podcast. So, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm curious about how you became interested in the management of behavioral and psychological symptoms associated with dementia. I was thinking about this question, and actually my interest in the management of uh, behavioral issues with people who have dementia came out of my um, very early clinical practice when I worked in a nursing home. Uh, We saw these behaviors very frequently, and at that time, uh, it was back in the 1970s, we really had no... Uh, good management strategies. We didn't understand the behaviors. And so that uh, really sparked my interest in trying to find out better ways of uh, caring for these individuals besides physical and chemical restraints because that essentially is what nurses were using in those days. Right. And why then is it important to initially implement non-pharmacological interventions rather than the physical or chemical interventions that you've referred to? Well, uh, as I'm sure you're aware and um, any practicing healthcare provider knows that any drug, no matter whether it's a prescription drug or over-the-counter, they all have potential side effects. So with any medication, whether it's aspirin, Tylenol, whatever, they need to be used judiciously and only when needed. Now, when you add to that mix older adults who are very often on many medications because they have a number of comorbidities, um, what we find is that the probability of adverse interactions increase after we've got we're dealing with three medications. And some of these medications that older adults are on also interfere with their cognition. So I think it's always um, a good rule of thumb that we start with non-pharmacological or behavioral approaches first, and then only when absolutely necessary do we turn to drugs? And then, in that case, we start low and go slow, as most geriatricians will tell you. Right. Oh, I love that phrase, start low and go slow. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Dr. Brodaddy's systematic review, um, I found very interesting, and I was pleased with some of their um, results. But I'm just wondering if you could tell me from your perspective, what the strengths and challenges of the meta-analysis conducted by them were. Okay. Dr. Brodaddy conducted a very well-designed meta-analysis. When you um, look at uh, the rigor of his approach against guidelines such as PRISMA, 
I think he and his co-author really met very high standards in this meta-analysis. There were a couple of challenges that I think are unique to doing meta-analysis in this particular area that is looking at the strength of the evidence around non-pharmacological interventions or behavioral approaches to behavioral and psychological symptoms in people with dementia. First of all, as you can see from the results that they got from their review of the literature, most of the studies that are out there have very small sample sizes. And I think a big issue here is the funding that's available uh, to test the efficacy of non-pharmacological interventions. We have no funder like pharmaceutical companies that are are backing people who do non-pharmacological interventions. There's also another issue around the difficulty of conducting randomized clinical trials when you're looking at non-pharm interventions. Um, And that generally is uh, the randomized clinical trial tends to be the gold standard for a lot of uh, meta-analyses and also groups that will accept uh, meta-analyses for publication. Uh, The problems that you have with blinding and random allocation are there with uh, non-drug interventions. And uh, psychosocial interventions or behavioral interventions are typically multi-component. So that makes it very difficult to define, you know, what actually was the active ingredient in this intervention as well as defining what the dosage should be. When we use a randomized clinical trial as the gold standard in evaluating these um, uh, studies, we're actually using a a yardstick that's measuring, uh, that's more appropriate, I think, for drug efficacy um, than for interventions that have to be tailored and designed for an individual. The other thing uh, that I think is a challenge is actually looking for what is the right outcome. I mean, what do behavioral approaches or non-pharmacological interventions actually uh, target and hit? And one outcome I think that's very important for us to keep uh, mindful of is um, these interventions do impact quality of life. We saw that in some of the findings that Dr. Brodity um, pointed to in his paper. You know, when you uh, think about behavioral uh, measures as outcomes, eliminating all negative behaviors or problematic behaviors isn't always appropriate because very often these behaviors are the individual's way of communicating that they have an unmet need. So when, for example, someone is very resistive to care, to the shower bath or whatever, it might be that uh, there's something physically wrong, like pain, for example, that they're experiencing. You know, antipsychotics aren't going to help with the pain. Um, Some of the shortcomings are around the quality of or the size of the data sets that we have out there the difficulty of conducting randomized clinical trials, you know, using these interventions. And despite that, 
um, they did find that it had uh, these interventions, when you look at them as a group, had an effect size that was equal to or better than drugs. So, you know, I think this is fantastic news. Mm-hmm. I think so, too, yeah. I'm wondering what types of behavioral and psychological interventions you would recommend in the community. Brodaddy's systematic review did only include interventions that were conducted in the community, which I felt was a real strength because there are fewer of these interventions in the community. So I was pleased about that. But I'm wondering from your experience and from the kinds of interventions that were included in the systematic review, what you would recommend in in a community setting. I think any type of activity that the caregiver could um, be involved with the uh, recipient of that care together, something that they both enjoy. For example, exercise you know, going out for a walk or uh, sitting down and and playing cards. That way the caregiver also benefits, is engaging in something that's enjoyable for him or her, and that's important. Also skill training, helping uh, family members or caregivers, informal caregivers, identify triggers, things to avoid, that might precipitate some of these behaviors, I think is very important and can easily be done in the community. Along with respite care for the caregiver, I think that's critical so that um, they're not experiencing high levels of burnout. What are, in your opinion, the practice and policy implications that, uh, based on this systematic review, would you recommend? Okay, well, certainly um, in the practice arena, to use these non-pharmacological interventions first. I think it's important that we recognize that these interventions can prevent as well as treat behavioral and psychological symptoms. I think there's a distinction there. Uh, In terms of prevention, I think it's important to identify pleasant events that people with dementia enjoy engaging in what are, you know, their individual interests, keeping people to a fairly predictable schedule and, you know, at times that they enjoy doing things, like when do they like to wake up, et cetera, et cetera. And then also treatment. How can we intervene when people are resistive to care? How can we intervene when people, uh, you know, become aggressive? trying some of these non-pharmacological interventions first. Taking a look at the medications that they are on, Beer's criteria were just recently updated, and I think that's an important document for nurses as well as other healthcare providers to be uh, very aware of, that there are medications that should be avoided in older adults, and there are medications that can be substituted for some of those. So I I think that's important around practice. As far as policy, at least in the United States, we are are certainly being pressed by our Centers for Medicare and Medicaid to reduce the number of antipsychotics in the nursing home. And uh, nursing homes are being challenged to reduce the number, and so when they do reduce these medications, I know their staff are looking for 
what can they supplement? And it's it's very important that they have the knowledge and skills to implement non-pharmacological interventions. I think the same should be uh, said for people who live in the community. Uh, we should be, you know, reducing those medications because many of them are on, uh, you know, the beers uh, list and can be harmful to frail older adults. So improving care at the national level, making patient family-centered care a priority. What further research do you feel is needed in this area? There are a couple of areas. Uh, Again, trying to figure out what are the best outcomes that we should be looking at, what are sensitive outcomes to non-pharmacological interventions, things such as quality of life, uh, positive affect, I think we also uh, need to determine which components of non-pharmacological interventions are important for effects, as well as the duration of effect, and that gets at dosage. We also have to be aware of the fact that how services are delivered in different countries is going to impact the outcomes. For example, what a nursing home is in the United States is not the same as what uh, a nursing home setting might be in Scandinavian countries. And so that affects what a random sample is going to be. It's going to vary. So we need to be mindful of that. And then finally, I think it's important that we publish our intervention protocols. In most journals, there's not a whole lot of space to get into the details They tend to be multi-component. They tend to be individualized. And I think it's important that we have outlets for publishing that in great detail. So my very final question is, if our readers were to take away one key message, what would that be? I think uh, use non-pharmacological interventions first. And I would also add adopting a patient-family-centered approach to care because I think that's the fundamental component of all non-pharmacological interventions. I'm convinced that's what makes it work. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Kolonowski. Oh, you're welcome. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.